Ron and Anian. Maybe the way we need to look at auto repair, it's kind of like a blind date. What would your gut tell you? And if your gut tells you, yeah, I don't think I want to get married and have kids with this person, and chances are you probably don't want them working on your car either. The Car Doctor. Has your son ever driven a stick? Uh, no, he hasn't. Okay, so he's a first-time driver. So the likelihood of this needing a clutch in six months it m- might be more realistic than we realize. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, The Car Doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, welcome, Ron and Indian, the car doctor. Uh, you know, gee, where do we start today? You know, there's so many things I want to talk about this hour. And I'm, by the way, I'm here at 855-560-9900. Let me start here. Before the show today, I called mom. Uh, you, you hear me talk about mom all the time and uh, you know, let's just say that um, mom's sitting by her radio right now, and I won't tell you how old she is, but let's just say that um, she remembers Pearl Harbor, and she probably dated one of the pilots So uh, for our side. that um, you know, So mom's been around a little bit, and she was talking to me today, what are you going to talk about today on the show? And I said, gee, mom, I, I kind of really haven't given it a lot of thought. I usually create it as I go because I find it to be a little fresher that way. I review the week's events in the top of my head and sort of work from there. And she said, well, why don't you talk about getting your car ready for winter? And I went, but Ma, we're still in the middle of summer. You know, summer's just winding down. But you can never be too prepared. And I thought about that. And the fact is, Mom's right. You can never be too prepared because chances are we're in the tail or the end of the last couple of weeks of summer. And before you know it, two months from now, we could have the dirty four-letter word, snow. But I didn't say it. So what I want you to think about, I want you to develop a plan. I don't want anything to be done at the last minute. I don't want any automotive emergencies. I want you to be aware that from this moment forward, somewhere in the next two months, you become good scouts and you're prepared. You take the car in for service if you haven't done it in a while. Look up at that oil change sticker the next time you get in the car. If it's curled up and yellow and falling off or worse yet, if it's missing, chances are you need an oil change. And ask your mechanic to go over the car. Ask him to give him a physical. Look at the tires, look at the brakes, belts, hoses. Not necessarily every year make model car because a lot of the newer vehicles are going to require a different kind of service and a different kind of approach. But it's still a mechanical device and it still requires maintenance in some way, shape, or form. If your car hasn't seen the inside of a repair shop or an oil change place in a year, chances are you're way overdue. And you've got to get something done before it becomes a bigger problem because two months from now, when there's snow on the ground, perhaps, or three months from now, when there's snow on the ground, you don't want to be that guy making the phone call 3 o'clock on a Friday afternoon going, I've got a problem. You were warned. And just remember, mom will call you and yell at you if you don't. Mine or yours, your call. Hello and welcome. Ron and Annie and the Guard Doctor here at 855-560-9900. Here to take your call and answer your question, solve your problem, whatever it is. Give us a call. Talk to Fast Harry. Fast Harry will get you up in queue. We're going to be talking to the folks from Delphi, I believe, down around the bottom of the hour about some of the things they've got going on. So we're looking forward to that. But we are here to take your calls. Let's kick the garage doors open and get into it and go talk to Mike in Dinellon, New Jersey, 
with some comments about an 08 Chevrolet and rust proofing. Mike, welcome to the car, Doctor Sir. How are you today? Ron, I'm very well, thank you. I always enjoy your show, especially last week. I thought it was really great. Well, thanks, Mike. I appreciate um, that. A question. Uh, my friend has an 08 Chevrolet uh, Silver, it's a um, Silverado with a short bed. It's a standard cab, not the four-door one. Right. And he says he was looking underneath it the other day and noticed that somehow some things are starting to rust already. Yep. Now, do they do any rust proofing on these cars today? And if not, what would you suggest that he do? Do they still have like the the Rusty Jones type places or or not anymore? I'm not a fan of undercoating, Mike, because in my mind, from what I've seen, undercoating you know will hold moisture and can create some issues on its own. That's number one. Number two, based on the quality of undercoating, undercoating's changed a lot over the years. When I restored the hot rod five, four or five years ago, the undercoating that I was peeling off the floor pan from 1954 was entirely different in terms of composition and resiliency than the stuff we're using today. And a lot of it's, you know, the chemical makeup. They won't allow certain chemicals to be sprayed anymore. That being said, right. that 2008 Silverado, I've got a 2008 Silverado. You know what? It's eight model years old. It's been through eight winters. Now, the last two, maybe three years, I've been using a product called Fluid Film. Fluid Film. And we were right. just talking about this last hour, as a matter of fact. It's funny. First time it's come up in a while. And what Fluid Film does is it clings. It's like a clotting, blocking action material that will cling to the metal and prevent it from, you know, allowing moisture to settle in. And it's, it's, it's a rust preventative. A lot of the plow companies use it. They put it on the blades. They put it on the undercarriage of the trucks. It's designed specifically for foul weather. And I like that. I like that approach. And I've been using that on my truck now for the past two years, like I said, going on three. One of the things your friend may have to do is get the truck up in the air and start painting some of those critical areas, scrape off some of the surface rust, and start scraping and then painting with a product I use called Zero Rust Paint. Uh, if you Google it, Zero Rust Paint, you'll find it, or you'll find that it may be a local body shop supply house. And what Zero Rust Paint does is it will actually permeate into the rust. It'll dig into the rust and lock it up and prevent it huh. from growing. And kind of that, like a Rust-Oleum used to Yeah, do. kind of like a Rust-Oleum, but I think a grade above. And, you know, it specifically will attack rust, where Rust-Oleum, to my knowledge, requires a clean surface. Rust-Oleum is more of a preventative whereas zero rust will actually attack the rust, lock into it, and prevent the vehicle from rusting further. Now, there's a third product. You know how, how deep and how hard into this do we want to get? If you wanted to pour 15 the chassis, which requires specific prep time and a lot more work, I have seen some spray applications of pour 15, but from what I'm reading, the best results are obtained with their brush-on product, and that takes a bit of work. That takes a bit of doing. So bottom line... There, there are things out there that I think are better than undercoating. He's fortunate in that it's a 2008. He should have vinyl-coated brake lines on that truck. 2008 was the first year for that. 2007 down, General Motors trucks and SUVs all suffer from steel lines. And for the record, if anybody out there listening happens to own one of those, I definitely have my mechanic look those lines over and be sure they're not rusting and splitting or getting ready to split because that's a very common big problem on GM product right now, so much so that there's 
conversation about uh, potential recall out there, but uh, I haven't seen anything else beyond speculation. I'm glad he doesn't have a Toyota because they had a really bad rust problem. And you know, Mike, there's a lot of rust issues on a lot of vehicles, but for some reason the public doesn't want to accept that all cars break and all cars have their issues. But um, yeah, that's, that's where he would be, sir. Okay. Thanks again, Ron. I appreciate it. You're very welcome, Mike. You take good care. Uh, Rust is a huge issue and I can't, I can't warn us enough about it in that we've got to be, you know, a little bit of due diligence. And it's funny, you know, Mike said, gee, 2008, it's he, he, like it's a new vehicle. You know, it's funny. I thought of my plow truck as a new vehicle, too, about three months ago. And I sat down and I said, gee, here I am entering my eighth or ninth winter with it. And, um, you know, all of a sudden, it's not new anymore. It's uh, it's uh, time to start thinking about, you know, preventative maintenance, or it was quite some time ago, and I've been doing it ever since. 855-560-9900. The car doctor's coming back. Hey, LMC truck giveaway. Well, we're supposed to give another one away this hour. Stay tuned. It could be you. We'll be back right after this. car doctor taking his own highway today at 855-560-9900 let's get over and talk to alan from warwick new york 93 ford ranger alan you're on with the car doctor how can i help sir hey hey ron how you doing today good what's going on i got a 93 ford ranger uh it's a 3.0 five speed i'm trying to bleed the air from the clutch it's hard i can't do it <laughs> yeah i've got a i've got a 97 3.05 speed let me tell you this is like a religious experience uh, you know, this is this is typical engineering, automotive engineering design at its best. They make it so that you have to bleed fluid from a system and then provide a limited method and way to do it. Is the is the clutch master and slave on the truck? The, the is the master on this integral with the brake master, Alan, or is it a separate uh, clutch master? No, it's all separate. It's all, it's all separate. separate. The way we bleed yeah. these now. Where did you purchase the new the new setup from? From the uh, dealer or the aftermarket? Well, actually, I'm driving a truck. I bought it used about a year and a half ago. Okay, and you haven't and, uh, you haven't been able to get the air out. About, yeah, it's there for about six months. Right, um, and you know, now, I, I once in a while it's, it's hard to get into gear. But. Is is yours the setup where the bleeder is on the master, or is there a bleeder on the slave as well? Just one on the slave. There's nothing on the master. Okay. So and the way that thing's mounted, you know, it's right. pointed it's, downwards. Right, it's mounted at an angle, so all the air is trapped at the other end. So yes, it is. the the way I've the way I've bled that particular one is I will raise either the front or the back of the vehicle with a floor jack, get it up good and high, open the bleeder, and let it sit. Sometimes I let it right. sit. Sometimes I let it sit overnight. Now, if you want to take it a different approach, take the master and the slave off the truck. Bleed it off the car. Well, that's right. I did try doing that, but I can't get the master off the because uh, the clutch pedal. Right. Do I go into it? Oh, because it's frozen. Was, right. Well, yeah, it won't, won't come back. I guess once it's put together, it won't come back apart. Right. Again. Yeah, it's a, it's a one way. You can't take the clutch pedal linkage off. You can't take that rod off. Where is it? Is it a captured no. rod up at the top there? Well, what it goes into the master, I guess it's a snap ring on the rod. Yeah, but it goes together. But, but that, apart. but the rod on the clutch pedal itself, 
can't that unclip from the pedal assembly somehow? If you had to take the clutch pedal out, how would you take that out? Well, I, I can get that apart. Okay. But I just cannot get the whole thing out of the truck. Okay. Then I think we're either going to have to raise one end or the other, or if you can find them, years ago there used to be a product for bleeding hydraulics, the brake fluid hypodermics. They looked like giant hypodermic needles with little rubber cushions on the end. Do you remember? Okay. Do you remember seeing those? They were out twenty years ago. I've still got a pile of them in the shop, and and basically you you fill them up with fluid, you tap the bubbles out, you open the bleeder, and you reverse bleed. Put it on the uh, nipple on the slave, and just reverse bleed and push the fluid up into the master, and hopefully any air gets carried along with it and eventually burps itself out. And you can you can try that as well. Last thing, if it's not yeah. air. That particular trans for gear oil calls for, if I recall right, automatic trans fluid, right? Yeah, there is ATF. I did change the trans oil. Okay. There is ATF. You, you may find that using General Motors manual gearbox oil makes that trans okay. shift a little better. I've got that truck, oh. Alan, just five years newer. I've got a 97. And okay. I, I've been down this road. I actually run GM manual gearbox fluid in mine. It's not cheap stuff. The last time I bought it was 20 bucks a quart, if I remember right, right from General Motors. But it's their manual trans fluid. It's what GM used to put in the old S10 Blazers a million years ago. Okay. Uh, you know, it, it's just it's got a little bit more lubricating action to it, and it will help it shift and, you know, be a little bit slicker in the way that it works. So take a look at that and consider that. Listen, let me help you out. LMC Truck, one of our sponsors, uh, I dug into the closet. I'm digging into it again twice this weekend. Uh, we're going to send you out a $25 gift card. It's good for anything at lmctruck.com. They'll also be glad to send you out a hat or a T-shirt as well as a catalog, and maybe you can find something in their catalog. I'm sure you can find something in their catalog to help you with that 93 Ford Ranger. So stay on the line. Let Harry get all your information, and we'll get that coming to you from the folks over at LMC Truck. And good luck to you. Alan, let us know if we can do anything else. Let's get over and see Sal, Long Island, 2012 Chevy Traverse, and some questions and comments about traction. Sal, welcome to the car, Doctor, sir. How can I help? Hi, Ron. How are you today? Good, Good. sir. What's going on? Okay, uh, it's a 12 uh, Traverse, purchased new uh, from pretty much the start. The uh, It's a two-wheel drive vehicle. Right. Uh, traction issues, rain and snow. Um Predominantly, my, my wife drives the car, and her complaint is when she takes off from the traffic light that there there is a traction issue. The car has traction control, makes no difference on or off. Right. The car is is screaming for to you know to it's, grab the road. It's 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 the general, skitterish. The tires. Right? It just can't tires, it just can't grab. What what kind of tires are on it, Sal? Yeah, it's there. Uh, they came with the Goodyear Forcera two five five six five R eighteen mud and snow. Right. We're getting we're coming up on forty thousand, getting ready to replace tires. Uh, like I said, it is a purchase, so I'm really not looking to purchase another vehicle at this time. Uh, what I, do you suggest? I would look at the general tire. Um, uh, get over to the general tire website and specifically go take a look at the Grabber HTS. All right, I am 90% certain they make it in that size. Good, solid tire. We put a set of those on a two-wheel drive pickup truck not too long ago with a customer complaint about similar problems. And the back end of a small pickup truck like this one was, they're generally kind of skitterish. They, you know, you start out on a damp, dewy day, 
and it just yeah. it just it's just not happy for lack of a better word and um it it you know we put a little weight in the vehicle because it was the back end and it solved his right. problem Every, you know he really likes his grabber hts's you know one of the yeah. things i will say about general tire when i when i look at tires there's two things i consider i consider how easy is it going to be to get a replacement obviously it's the it's the company and their name and their reputation which general has obviously but i also look right. at the technology the hts is one of their newer tires in the last couple of years. They put a lot of money into making that tire, and it, it, it should be around a long time, and the technology seems to be right on the money. We've sold more than a few sets, and everybody seems to be very happy with them. I would uh, I would that's, take a real hard uh, look at them. HTS, like Harry, Harry Thomas Sam. Harry Thomas Sam, yes, sir, HTS. Oh, okay. They also have others, and you can review yeah. the website. They should also have an 800 number there, if I recall correctly, that you can talk yeah. to them, say, listen, I've got this Traverse, what do you recommend? Here's the problem I'm having. And uh, yeah. they can kind of guide you accordingly from there. All right, sir? Okay, appreciate it, All right. uh, Ron. Thank if, you very much. If you need anything else, you know where we are. Hey, coming up next, uh, you know, we talk about the quality of parts and the race to the bottom. Well, uh, you know, we're, a lot of companies are out there are trying to help us solve that. It's, um, it's, it's a real issue of late, the uh, quality of parts that the automotive aftermarket is facing, as well as the OEs. You know, the OEs don't have an easy road, too. And we've reached out to the folks over at Delphi. Uh, we're going to talk to Jeff Dent. He's specifically going to be coming on to talk to us about some of their products and some of the things they're doing because a lot of what they're doing is being applied across the board through many automotive manufacturers. And it's kind of refreshing to take a look behind the scenes to hear how manufacturers are, are, are really working to solve the problems for both OEs, uh, dealers, and independents. Uh, you know, what What sort of generated this, this conversation we're going to have with Jeff is what I've noticed in the last year and a half or so, and I think I've talked about it freely here on air, that um, a lot of issues with parts, a lot of issues with things showing up that, that don't seem to work, and there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes. Here, let me, let me prove it to you this way. I've got an email in front of me from a Ken in Cincinnati, Ohio. He's a service writer at a, as he puts it, an import dealership. And he said, Ron, your comments a couple of weeks ago about the oil change by manufacturer's light are right on the money. We're finding that the longer oil change intervals are proving to create consumption issues in a lot of vehicles, ours included. I won't mention the brand name. He says baked and varnish oil in the rings are causing consumption, and it's cheaper to change oil by time rather than face the issue of oil consumption. So there's a lot of things going on behind the scene, folks, that we don't all necessarily know about. Hey, coming up next, Jeff Dent, Delphi. Stay tuned. We're back right after this. Listeners, Ronanini and the Car Doctor. You know, if you have been listening and are part of the Car Doctor Nation uh, these many years, you've heard me talk, especially this year, how we are in a race to the bottom when it comes to parts and parts quality. And it's an issue. It's an issue when you're repairing cars, whether you're doing it yourself or whether you're doing it as a professional. And I'm constantly reaching out and looking for the sources of the best parts. And we wanted to reach out at this particular point in time. We're approaching that time of year when fuel systems will be working in colder weather. Um, not that hot weather isn't a problem either. There are, some, there are some issues with both, but we thought it would be a good time of year to talk a little bit about fuel systems and some of the problems that can occur there. And we've reached out, and we are talking today with Jeff Dent. Jeff is the category 
product manager for the folks over at Delphi, and we're glad to have him with us here on The Car Doctor. Jeff, welcome aboard, sir. Thank you, Ron. I appreciate the time. Um, let's talk a little bit about the importance of good parts. You know, you've been doing this a while, I know, and Delphi's been around forever. And, uh, you know, one of my rants this year is we're in a race to the bottom. It seems that a, a lot of manufacturers are, are trying to cheapen things up. But Delphi's going in the opposite direction. You guys are constantly working to make the best product, the best quality component, and um, still bring it to market at a fair price. And uh, it's got to be a big issue for you guys, no? Well, what we try to do here is uh, make sure that our, our pumps and our fuel system components uh, all are, are manufactured to the OE specification. And, uh, I mean, that's the, that's the most important thing, right, because the, the vehicle – Vehicles are are built at a and their fuel systems are designed to work at a certain speci- uh, specification, at a specific flow, pressure, uh, current, and it's important to meet those specifications in order for that system to run, you know, in the best, pat- uh, most efficient way possible. So, um, you know, at Delphi we try to meet those OE specifications and. Uh, I mean, the problem is if, you, if you're not meeting those exact OE specifications, what's going to happen is your system's not going to work as efficiently as it should, and you're going to have pre- either premature failures or you're going to cause stress on other system components. You know, we, we, we talk about fuel pumps, Jeff. You know, is there a mileage range when fuel pumps go bad? When does the listener know to be concerned maybe it's time to start thinking about a fuel pump cars last longer today and 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 fuel pumps have to last longer too right right i mean quality has gotten better over the years uh i think uh, no one would disagree with that and you'll see in replacement rates and things like that those are generally going down overall but uh um, there's no specific mileage range necessarily but we do test our product up to 150,000 miles uh, the pumps themselves up to 150,000 miles, so we know that we're making a, a quality unit. So, I mean, that's, you know, the, you, we can say miles uh, driven or something like that, but it's also, you know, how much time are you sitting in traffic, right? Uh, how much time are you just idling? I mean, that all that all can wear on the, on the fuel pump life as well. It used to be, and I still think it's true today, that one of the factors that led to a fuel pump's possible early failure uh, was something as simple as how much fuel do you keep in the tank? Isn't it true that, you know, if you tend to run the tank a quarter tank or more, you've got that pump in in, in liquid, which helps keep it cool? It is an electric motor. It would make sense, no? I mean, that is, uh, especially on some of the older style as well, when you're not, when you don't have what we call the fuel module, where there's a plastic bucket that keeps the pump in, uh, in fuel constantly. But if you're having a, maybe an older unit that's, uh, you know, where the pump is exposed to whatever's in the tank um, and the the fuel level's low, it's not getting maybe the cooling that it requires, you know, if you're in a hot area or there's there could be condensation in the tank uh, if it's not kept, uh, the fuel's not kept up around the fuel pump. Right. But, all, but, I mean, also what you're looking at is, uh, you know, if you get down to a less than a quarter of a tank, you're right at the, you know, at the bottom of the tank, you're going to be sucking in not only the the last bits of fuel, but any debris that might be on the bottom. And, and that's an issue, obviously, for the pump itself. Jeff, when they get around to replacing the fuel pump, the advantages, you know, if you're going to replace the entire fuel pump assembly, you use the word module, and it's a good one. Um, there are advantages to replacing the entire fuel pump assembly as a module versus, I realize it's cheaper just to do a pump, but there are some issues there, right? 
Right. I mean, uh, I think the biggest advantage uh, in doing the full module is that it's it's a little bit easier in that you can just take out the old module, put in a new module, make the connections, and you should be ready to go. Whereas when you're only replacing the pump, there's some disassembly work you have to do. Um, you're connecting a, a new connector to an old connector, uh, and that can you know that could uh, prove to be an issue possibly. Um, so it's, I think, you know, in the secondary advantage, it's just you're replacing all the components on that fuel assembly in one in one swoop. So you're taking out some of the room for error right. on some of those connections and and uh, sensors and things like that. Yeah, you know, when you when you stop to think about ethanol and fuel and some of the things ethanol can create as issues, if it affected the life of the pump, there were other elect electrics electronics if you will, in the tank, and, and those are going to be affected as well. Um, so, yeah, it does make sense to change everything as a module. In and out, it's fresh, it's ready to go. Is it difficult, if you were going to describe to the listeners, Jeff, for diagnosing and replacing a fuel pump, what are some of the steps they might want to consider they have to take? Uh, there's some pretty basic, uh, some some tests that you can do um, just to make sure it's the pump. I mean, a lot of the a lot of what happens is, you know, the car won't start or the fuel's not getting the engine. Oh, it must be the fuel pump. And what you really want to do is make sure that's the problem because the last thing that you really want to do is take the time and, you know, drop the fuel tank and do all that work, you know, hours of work potentially, one to two hours of work or more, uh, when it's actually an electrical issue. So we recommend doing tests like a voltage drop between the battery and the fuel system, um, flow tests, make sure that the flow, the pump's flowing properly and not only flowing but flowing at the correct pressure because um, if it's low or high there, you might have a, some kind of blockage issue with fuel lines or something like that. All those things, uh, you know, would lead you, while you're not getting the fuel to the engine, which might, you know, people would automatically jump to the fuel pump, it's, it might be easier to replace, you know, a fuel relay or something like that as opposed to doing all the work to replace the fuel pump. Right, sure. Yeah, know, know what you're doing before you just start changing parts. I exactly. agree. Diagnose, diagnose, diagnose. Um, cleaning the tank, Jeff, do you still see issues with that at this point in the game? Is it important? I think it's a very important. I think it's a step that uh, doesn't get taken in many cases, especially, I know you've, have, you've probably seen those uh, vehicles that have the, the trunk access to the, to the fuel module unit. Um, in those cases, a lot of times the tank doesn't get dropped, and as as uh, as a result, it doesn't get uh, doesn't get cleaned. Um, and the danger there is contamination is one of the biggest uh, causes of fuel pump failure. So if you're not uh, cleaning out your fuel system or your fuel tank, um, chances are if you replace the fuel pump, it's going to fail again earlier than it should or some component is going to go bad because there's contamination in the tank. So right. it's an important step. So the logic there, and I agree that if, if, if there was contamination to take out the first pump, ah, you know what, there's, it's not going to do a whole lot of good for the second pump. And no. um, that's, that's an issue. Jeff, I appreciate the time, sir. Is there a place the listeners can go for more information? Absolutely. Well, we have, uh, we're on Facebook and Twitter and YouTube at uh, Delphi Auto Parts as well as we have a website, DelphiAutoParts.com, where you can access uh, uh, information on uh, Delphi product and service solutions and the fuel product we have. Perfect. Cool beans. Hey, Jeff, we appreciate you taking the time and a big hey from the car doctor for all the good that you folks at Delphi do. We'll talk again real soon. Take good care. Thank you. Appreciate the time. You're very welcome, sir. I'm Ron Annie and the car doctor. We are back right after this. 
Welcome back. Arden Annie and the car doctor rolling along. Let's get over and talk to, let's go talk to Roxanna, Palm Springs, California, 2014 Nissan Sentra. Hi, Roxanne. How are you? How can I help you? Hi. Hi. I'm pretty good, Ron. Hi. Yeah, I have a 2014 Nissan Sentra. Bought it new. Um, since about the last two oil changes, the dealer suggested uh, brake fluid change or flush. You know, they say it's getting dark. Car has 25,000 miles now, so kind of. I'm just kind of wondering: is it necessary now, or um, seems rather new to be doing that? Um, I can tell you, the car's used in a business, so it does get some use. Right. Um, you know, Palm Springs here. Yeah, it, you know, we had summer day heats up to 117 degrees. <laughs> but you know what? Heat, heat. In your case, it's it's a dry heat, correct? Yes. So, you know, in your, if, if we're worried about environment, in your case, dry heat is good for the brake fluid. It won't, you know, there's not that much moisture for it to absorb, or it's, it's, it's not as prevalent as it would be, say, if the car was in New Hampshire or Vermont, uh, you know, uh-huh. where, there's, where there's more moisture and, and, and that type of environment. So, bottom line, unless you really are gung-ho about buying the service right or lawn furniture, I don't think you really need to change brake fluid at this point in the life of the car. Uh, you know, at 30000 and I would rather see you stay with your traditional, what I'll call a traditional service schedule. If you want to over-medicate the car a little bit and change fluid a little early, do it at 30. That way it's easy to remember. You did it at 30, you did it at 60, you did it at 90. But truth be told, if you look at the color of the fluid, if I, I'll be willing to bet the brake fluid has still got a nice golden yellow to it. It hasn't discolored yet. And you can probably go another year. It's the car's too new. You're absolutely right. Um, okay. You know, as I've been saying the past couple of weeks, it seems like this is really becoming a problem in the industry that mm-hmm. there's less for dealerships to sell. And this problem is going to work its way down to the aftermarket shops, too, in my opinion. The newer cars need less, they still need common sense maintenance. They just need it. They don't need it as soon as they once did. And 2014, you know, if when the, once the car hits two and a half years old, then we're going to go to a normal service schedule. Until then, it's you know how generous do you want to be and how how good of care do you want to take care of it? It's a commercial vehicle. It's probably a a, a business write off. You're going to keep it three to five years and then get rid of it and start over again because it'll have enough miles on it maybe. Um, you know, that's all you need to do. There's, there's no need. The one way to do this, you know, heaven forbid Ron disappeared next week. You know, one of the things I always say to everybody, if I weren't here, how would you get information? First stop is the owner's manual. All right. Yeah. What does the manufacturer's owner's manual say for the vehicle you're driving? That's not the Bible, but it's a good place to start. The second step, the second thing you have to think about is where do you live? What's the environment? Dirty, dusty, okay, that's one environment. You know, humid, snow, a lot of outside element conditions, that's another factor. So you've got to weigh that as part and parcel of it, too. There's no way any manufacturer, I'm, I'm, I'm building up to a Ronism here, Roxanne. There's no way any manufacturer can sell a product in the United States and say they all need this anywhere in the country 
at at this mileage because every situation, every region is different. I sat down and I thought about it and I mapped out the country. There's about seven different regions of auto repair around the country in terms of, you know, in Florida it's about air conditioning, in in the in New England it's about, you know, heat, in the Midwest it's about one thing and you know, it all varies. So, I think what you're running into is the dealership being a little overzealous. And as a matter of fact, you're in California. I was talking about it prior. Dave, uh, if you want, go Google Flush Wallet Flushing in California, and you should come up with some articles about the service issues they're seeing in the state with automobiles. And uh, you can kind of read that and take the rest from there. All right? Sounds good. Yeah, I've been more concerned about the transmission and yeah, the air and that's, conditioning. And, and, <laughs> yeah, and that's, and that's a little early, too. I would tell you at 30000 it's air cabin, some fuel system cleaning, and uh, depending upon the trans, maybe fluid, but it's probably early for all that, too. Take a look at the owner's mount. If you have any more questions, give me a call back. 855-560-9900. Ron Anini and the Car Doctor. Back right after this. Welcome back. We're on the Indian Car Doctor. You know, I've got in front of me, remember last hour, I think it was last hour, from Bob out in Iowa, the comments about the Kia. And I've got the letter from Kia, and it talks about Kia putting, let's see, conducting a voluntary service campaign to add additional anti-corrosion material to the underbody of all 2010-2013 MySoul vehicles that originally sold or currently registered in the United States. Blah, 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 blah. They're going to put this in. What will Kia do? Kia dealers will add additional anti-corrosion material to the underbody of your vehicle. This work will be performed at Kia's expense at no cost to you, the vehicle owner. So why are they charging them $80 a wheel? doesn't make any sense. So um, if you're out there listening, Don, just be aware. There's uh, something rotten in Denmark. It's called lawn furniture. Let's get over to Paul Stanton, Virginia. Paul, welcome to the car, Dr. Sir. How can I help in my last couple of three minutes here? Yes, sir. I've got a 91 Bronco, and it's full-size with the uh, automatic overdrive transmission. Okay. And uh, <clears throat> when you uh, when you when you when it's still cold, it's not warmed up yet, uh, and you've got it in gear at idle, you can hear a rrrr, and uh, it is from the transmission. You know, if you if you put your head under the hood, you don't hear it. Can, can you uh, can you make that sound one more time? It's like a rrrr. Okay. It, it sounds like when a uh, when a power steering pump is low on fluid. Right. And right. Uh, but I checked I checked over the dipstick, and uh, it's um, it's right where it should be. If if you shift it, is this in gear or in park when it makes that noise? No, in gear. Okay. If you change it and put it in reverse, or you know, if you're in reverse, if you go to drive, if you go to the go to an opposite gear, does it change anything? If you go to park, does it change anything? No, it, it seems to be the same. Uh, okay. Once once you've driven like two miles, you can stop right and lift the port, and it's gone. Does it sound so like what, what, so? So does it sound like a power steering system that's that's low on fluid per se? That's that's exactly what it sounds like. Okay. Um, and you know it, it's it's not loud, uh, but uh, so it's like at the very beginning 
high, whatever it's called. Higher mileage on the trans itself, Paul. I'm not going to ask the vehicle. It's an older vehicle. I'm sure it's got miles on it. How many miles are on the unit? Uh, actually, the whole vehicle's only got 110,000 miles. Okay. It's a silver anniversary edition. Right. So it's, you know, but it's a 91. It's, so it's, say, 2001. It's 25 years old. You know, what you could be faced with is some of the internal seals in the trans, particularly the front pump. The rubber's a little dried out, and it's not providing as good a hydraulic seal as it once did when it was warm. So perhaps there are some seal supplements uh, that you could purchase local auto parts store. Try one of those. Lucas makes a great trans additive that you could possibly take a shot at that and see what that does for you. But I probably wouldn't get into it until it showed me further symptoms because the cost to replace it um, might be more than you need to at this particular point. Let me know your thoughts. I'm running anything in the car, doctor. The mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya. See ya.